Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you excellent and interesting content. From inspiring you to teach or supervise more effectively, to leading and managing your own team, to thinking about creative or humanistic ways to do your work, and finally, to build up your skills in scholarly practice. We welcome you to sit back, listen, and enjoy the latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark podcast. In collaboration with the team at Merit, McMaster's Education Research, Innovation, and Theory program in the Faculty of Health Sciences, we bring you our Good Pie sub-series on good practices in education. Our Merit scientists and scholars share their education research expertise with us so we can enhance our own teaching practices. We've included an infographic with each episode to summarize the highlights of our discussion. Join us for a slice of good pie. In this episode, we listen to Dr. Elif Bilgic talk about the integration of technology in the health professions field. She discusses topics such as how she came to McMaster, her immersive virtual reality research, and what she sees for the future of technology in the health professions field. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Today, I have Dr. Elif Bilgic here with me as a merit scientist, continuing on with our sub-series on good pie, good practices in education. So welcome, Elif. Happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. To start our conversation off, could you describe to our listeners your role, your background, and also your areas of research interest and how you came to McMaster? Of course. So um, I actually come from a surgical education background. I did my um, PhD at McGill University in the Department of Surgery, and my research focus was on um, surgical education. And my lab was a um, a minimally invasive surgery lab called the Steinberg Center for Minimally Invasive Surgery. So um, a lot of my work was about um, actually um, laparoscopic skills training. And following that, I did two postdoctoral fellowships, and both at McGill, but in different labs. Uh, one was at the Steinberg Center for Simulation and Interactive Learning, and the second was at the Simulation, Affect, Innovation, Learning, and Surgery Lab. And during my second fellowship, I actually had a, a CIHR fellowship. Um, and, and now, um, you know, as, as I'm an assistant professor and education scientist in the Department of Pediatrics, and of course, as you mentioned, the scientist um, at Merit as well. And um, I mean, in terms of how I came to McMaster, um, I knew that, you know, I come from actually a unique background in that um, throughout my PhD and my fellowships, I worked with physicians a lot physicians and, and residents and medical students. So I had a very, very good um, connection with, with the, I guess, the, the medical community. And then I knew that um, when I saw McMaster's job postings, I, I knew that um, they were looking for someone who, who had that prior experience working with, with physicians and, 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 you know, working with them more on a consulting basis, but, but also on a, you know, working on projects as, as partners as well. Um, and then having that background, I saw the, the, the job posting of the pediatrics I'm married and, and I applied. I mean, it's true that 
I haven't been to you know to Hamilton before <laughs> before before then, but I, of course I always knew McMaster has a great uh, a great medical program. Um, so I definitely knew that, but I just haven't been sort of to Hamilton before. But I'm I'm very happy to be here um, and and really um, sort of take on my my my, my faculty position here um, since since basically February 2022. So almost one year now. <laughs> That's amazing. And I have to say that it has been a pleasure to get to know you as well. And I'm so happy that you are here in the Faculty of Health Sciences with the Department of Pediatrics, as well as a new merit scientist. So I look forward to the listeners also getting to know you better through this one area of research that you have. I know you have many different research interests, and so we're going to talk about one particular area, and that's around immersive virtual reality research. I imagine that the listeners will be really interested in this because this is also an up and coming or a uh, field that's talked about a lot in uh, the press, popular culture. So for you, how did you become interested in immersive virtual reality research? I think you'll probably have to break that down a bit too. I know, right? Exactly. Um, So in terms of just my interest with these forms of, I guess, a bit more higher, higher technology um, came into place during my, my, my PhD when I was doing work with laparoscopic education. And though for my research itself, I mostly used task trainers of so physical models, I knew that there was a lot of talk and a lot of initiatives to develop and and implement virtual reality augmented um, simulation programs. So I knew that was coming of age. And and so that's where I started to um, read a bit more and get a bit more interested. And during my second fellowship, uh, my supervisor at the time, Dr. Jason Harley from McGill, um, uh, they and I, we, we sort of developed this short PEG grant um, that was about, not about immersive virtual reality, but it was about um, the role of screen-based virtual simulations during the COVID period. At least we're still in the COVID period with the, the peaks of it. And, and so we worked with a virtual simulation company. We kind of implemented a, a virtual simulation sort of research uh, within nursing and medical student training. And then we found some, some interesting results that, that made me want to pursue this further as an independent researcher. So currently, I, I have done quite a bit of work when it comes to EPA assessments and 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 the experiences and expectations of of, of of residents and faculty when it comes to that. And that my CIHR fellowship was actually about just that. And um, I learned today that it was actually um, my paper was published. So that's that's good news about the EPA assessments. Oh, congratulations! Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, also to confirm, EPA stands for Entrustable Professional Activities, is that correct? Yes, exactly. Yes. So Entrustable Professional Activities. And when I was doing that research, um, I realized that these kinds of simulation simulations could actually play a, a big role in, in supporting um, the training and assessment of our, our residents when it comes to these um, you know, EPAs. And so I have been very interested in how 
we could use different um, technologies to augment some of the some of the challenges that we have been experiencing. For example, one of them being you know, the, the exposure to some activities, um, clinical activities is not as frequent as one would potentially expect. And so, um, for instance, trainees don't, don't always get the necessary exposure uh, to be able to complete EPA assessments and the number of assessments that they're required. And I think simulation platforms like immersive virtual reality could, you know, could have a potential in, in, in supporting trainees um, get trained and assessed on some of these um, activities, clinical activities that they're that they're not being exposed to as much in the clinical setting. Um, and immersive virtual reality in itself, basically uh, we use a headset um, and, and in that headset, you're literally immersed in that environment. So let's say you're just in a room sitting and you put on these, these headsets and you are you feel like you're as if in the let's say in the patient room or in the operating room or in the um, emergency department so you are immersed in that environment it's meant to augment the realism of the simulation and so yeah so that's how you know i see the role of it with this increased realism um, of course, it has its limitations and benefits, but it could certainly play a role in, in, in the residency training, but of course, um, undergraduate medical training as well. Right. And I could even see the extended applications for all health professional training. And I mean, we're already seeing the ways in which immersive VR or virtual reality are applied in, in our society with yeah. gaming and other other contexts as well. Definitely. I think especially um, nursing is, is, is quite ahead when it comes to the usage of um, you know, virtual simulations um, for 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 nursing training definitely. Um, I've seen a lot of literature um, where you know there's a big focus of 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 using virtual simulations within within and nursing student um, education. Yes, definitely. And so, thinking about your research in this field, do you have uh, a, perhaps some key principles? or key takeaways that listeners who may be clinician educators or clinical teachers in the health professions, perhaps some of these educators can listen to and learn from your research and take away and apply some of the good practices in VR research to their own practice. Are there any takeaways that you might um, think of? For sure, yes. Actually, there is um, there is a couple that I would I, I want to specify here. Um, the one thing that I would want um, key principle or just key um, key point to consider would be that um, the vocabulary around virtual simulation is really not consistent across the literature. Mm. Everyone is using it um, differently. When one says virtual reality, it doesn't mean um, that is the same thing that another author who uses the word virtual reality is, is talking about. So I would, I would be actually, I would just caution everyone um, to be careful that when you're reading an article that you, you really try to understand um, what the authors mean when they say virtual reality or virtual simulation, because I think 
the consensus is not there just yes. yet. And I think it's something that we do need to work on, work on developing. And and actually, I'm 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 I'm, I'm partnering with with my fellowship supervisor, Dr. Harley, on on this to to really create that consensus around um, different types of virtual simulations. Yes. Um, so. Perhaps I could even paraphrase and let me know if I'm understanding this point mm-hmm. correctly, is that we need to be attuned to the varying definitions that are presented in, or the various terminology that is presented in simulation and virtual reality education and uh, be attentive to the definitions behind the words that we're using to describe these simulation or virtual reality activities. Yes, 100%. That's 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 correct exactly. Um, and I just sometimes I feel like maybe even um, you know, authors might not really understand when they use the word let's say virtual reality, they might not really understand what it means. Right. They're just using it for instance in different specialties, some words are just used often. Mm-hmm. Um, But there might not be, you know, it might not be the right wordings. It's just that's the, in quotations, norms. So that's just what is used. But yeah, I I, 100%, um, what you said is correct, is we need to just be more attentive on that. Um, I would also say um, we we have the concept of structural versus um, functional fidelity, like the concept of fidelity is, is very important. And something that immersive virtual reality does is 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 um really the structural fidelity of it is very good you really feel like you are um in the clinical environment that you're you're trying to simulate right um but but i would say you know when it comes to functional fidelity which is not about being immersed in an environment but being um you know the task that you're doing is really representative of what you would do in the clinical setting um, and, and whenever you are using technology that be immersive virtual reality, that be something else, um, we have to really um, consider our learning objectives. And, and it's not about, you know, it's not about, okay, we have this technology now, let's build an education program around it, but it's more, um, let's have our, you know, education program, our obje- learning objectives, and then let's see um, how we could support student learning and assessment. And one way could be through something like immersive virtual reality. But um, but I think um, we have to be careful and making sure that um, in our the technology and our learning objectives um, match, mm-hmm. I would say. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's where that structural and functional fidelity comes into play is, I think if that match is missing, Though, let's say the technology um, could be great um, and it might have this great structural fidelity, it will not have the functional fidelity that we're looking for because it's just the learning objectives and the technology don't match. Um, right. So I think definitely a point to um, to keep in mind um, yes. when we are thinking about these kinds of technologies. So you're um, saying like um, uh, to... to make sure I understand. When we're working with, for example, immersive virtual reality or simulation in general, I think your principle applies, we need to ensure that both the structural and the functional fidelity matches with our 
predetermined learning outcomes, learning aims, rather than allowing the technology to drive our learning experience or the ex experiences that we want that we create. Yes, exactly. Just I think um, we just have to think of our education and program first before mm -hmm. we think about the different, like you said, technology that be simulation in general and just immersive virtual reality is one example mm -hmm. of, and it's an emerging example. It's not commonly used across the training programs, but definitely. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also say, of course, um, there are a lot of different types of technologies, um, anywhere from Zoom platform all mm -hmm. the way to these really um, expensive high fidelity models. Um, and so we just have to, you know, we have to really, we, I think we first have to understand what is currently being done, right? I, I, I think instead of just bringing technologies in because they are emerging and they're cool, we have to take a step back and really try to understand um, what is being done currently you know, across, let's say, across the Faculty of Health Sciences, but also within each department within each program, um, and then try to understand how various technologies could enhance or limit um, mm. you know, the, the educational experiences and, and make our investment decisions or just make our research decisions um, accordingly. Um, because otherwise, um, we might end up, you know, finding this really cool technology, but then does not have a role within within a certain program, or at least currently it might not have a role, though in the future it might. Um, so I just think that, I guess you can call it an ease assessment, but I think we really need to understand um, our unique programs, because I think every institution, every program is gonna be different and be more or less um, accepting of, of, of technology and, and implementation of technology. So um, I would say that's the last point that I wanted to make is that that acceptance um, and, and, and yeah. making sure that we understand where our teams are at and where our current um, programs are at before before we we go further with with using technology. Yes. And that makes a lot of sense because I can see in a field like this, it's very easy to immediately jump to the cool new technology, purchasing dozens and hundreds of headsets yeah. just to put on every student and say, oh yeah, this is the wave of the future of learning. And yet your final point, if I understand it correctly, is to say, hold off on that. And first, in order to facilitate uptake and acceptance, of new technologies, recognize what is currently being done, not only out there in the literature and in the research world, but also then at our own institutions, at the faculty level or the department and schools level, what is being done out there and finding the takeaways or the learning points that others have gained in order to optimize success of your own applications. Yes, exactly. I think that, and I think that's really key in any uptake of of, of, of of technology and and you know health professions. Education itself is, um, I think, education, the you know, field of education um, is you know it includes already um, so much innovation and, and 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 it has evolved so much from 
early on till now that I think um, and, 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 you know, we can do the same with medical education or, or, or health professions education um, and, and really drive that change. But we have to be cautious and, and we have to go step by step. Yes, that that's great. And I really appreciate your takeaways for all of us listeners. I, I think about this area of technology and technology-enhanced education a lot. I, that This is a field that fascinates me, too. And I'm involved with uh, students, uh, graduate students, who are doing their thesis work in various aspects of uh, technology-enhanced yeah. education. And so I, I'm so curious to hear from you, given your exposure and experience in this field, where do you see us headed in health professions education in the future when it comes to virtual reality, simulation-based education, I'll even expand it out to simulation education, or just, you know, when we talk about augmented reality and the metaverse, et cetera, where are you seeing us headed? I think I think um, the the one thing that we have to just consider is that I think we saw this with with the pandemic a lot. Is, um, the field is the the medical field or the health professions field is 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 evolving so rapidly, and 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 you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And and so I think um, whenever we are thinking of just technology in general, when it comes to health professions education. Um, we have to um, be flexible and we have to be adaptable. And I think the technology needs to reflect that as well. Um, and I would say, especially in the, in the recent years, um, with artificial intelligence, enhanced um, educational technologies, um, we have seen the increase in that kind of flexibility, right? That student-centeredness and the fact that um, students can can repeat or students and and practicing health professionals of course it's not just for students but being able to repeat a certain module or a certain mm-hmm. scenario multiple times get the necessary um, assessment and then feedback and and I think um, and that assessment and feedback being adaptable to how the the learner is doing I think all of that is key when we're thinking about the future and that, um, and that with all these changes that are happening in the health professions itself, um, when it comes to um, you know, the, the, the competence by design models and, and the different considerations that we have to give um, when it comes to, of course, patients as well and patient safety, and then trying to um, think about um, trainee education right it's, it's a complex world it's a complex environment medicine is complex but education is very complex as well and when you bring these two fields together it just it just becomes um even even more complex and hopefully by some of these again these more adaptable flexible um tech student-centered technologies that that we would be able to address and and improve um, some of these complexities that that we see um, in in medical education currently. Um, So yeah, so I I I think when it comes to just technology and health professions education, um, that's one thing, but I would would just um, 
re-emphasize what I said before is there is definitely a role for these technologies within our programs, but um, we have to uh, we have to really think about what kinds of you know what kinds of learners we are targeting, um, what kind of settings we are we are um, looking at, um, what kinds of resources we have, and 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 trying to see how technology could fit within our own um, unique environments and really conducting the scholarship around there um, because of course um, we can think about generalizability but no matter what is there are institutional and program differences that uh, is that makes it you know hard to generalize our, our certain findings when it comes to implementing technology and, and as a part of a, med, a health professions education program. So that's really what I would say. But I, I think also we have to really consider talking with with industry and and being able to, you know, be, being open to having these kinds of conversations. I mean, since I started at McMaster, I have been talking to some companies because I know I can see the literature, but mm. I think they have the more um, technological insight mm-hmm. um, when it comes to these different technologies, and especially, and and I think um, you know, since for any technology, would have to obviously partner with 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 various um, industries, industry partners. I think starting to have these conversations early on to help us understand again the benefits and limitations of different technologies, and and trying to see how. Um, that would fit within our own curriculums and creating a, a, a scholarship around that is, I think, also key because I think sometimes people are hesitant um, to, to, to reach out to different industry partners to, to, talk about, um, to talk about research and to talk about um, where you know, industry and academia, where they fit together. Um, which is which is which is not easy it's not an easy conversation to start but I think um, it's one of those crucial ones if we want to move forward in this field because I think um, industry industry um, needs um, you know academia and health professionals to develop their technology or to improve modify their technology but I think you know health professionals needs um, industry and to be able to explore and potentially implement some of these technologies within the education. Yes, definitely. I see from what you're saying, the need for the academic industry partnerships that are bi-directional. And you're really nicely highlighting how the academic world needs our industry partners to share with us their latest advances in technology. And our technology partners need the academic collaborations in order to inform the research and the science behind effective technology applications, development, etc. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's just something I've been thinking about since um, starting at McMaster. And and I think it's something I would I would definitely be looking to continue to think about and, and evolve, you know, improve and evolve myself as well. That's great. Elif, I'm so happy to have had this chance to talk with you. And as I mentioned at the start of this episode, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and having met you just this last year, getting to know you during this time. It's been such a pleasure. And so I thank you for joining us in this podcast today.
No, thank you again for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes. Well, I had one final question to wrap us up. And given that we've been talking about technology a lot in this conversation, I'm curious, just from a personal personal perspective outside of the professional context, what kind of technology user are you? Would you consider yourself an early adopter? Would you consider yourself more of a um, withhold, you know, stand back and wait to see kind of approach outside of the professional realm? I think just personally, me just using any form of technology, I would say I'm somewhere in the middle. Yes. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would first, you know, I'm definitely not, not one of the early adopters of technology. <laughs> I, I tend to just wait a little bit before or, you know, or or I, I wait until I, I hear from maybe other people or um, there's a bit more um, information out there about yes. it. Um, I think that's why I, I wanted to do research in the field is, you know, because I'm, I'm interested in, you know, the, the information and the evidence and and this is one way that I get to be not an early adapter, but I get to be yes. a part of that early stage of that's of right. Things. Whereas yeah. in my personal personal sort of it just the, even you know when iPhones came came into play, I, I didn't purchase them until a bit later. But yes, um, <laughs> I, even, I'm, I wasn't too late, but still, um, I think I think. Um, personally yeah definitely in the mid-range but I am trying to be a bit more open it's just there's so much out there yes and that sometimes it's hard to be um an an early adapt adapter when when you know in the past there wasn't as much but now it's exponentially Mm -hmm. grown so it's becoming harder (laughs) so you you I can consider you an early observer (laughs) Early observer, exactly. <laughs> I think personal life, early observer, um, research life, I think yes. um, exploring it early on. Yes. I, again, I don't think I would consider myself an early adapter, but definitely uh, <laughs> trying to explore things earlier. Exactly. So you're not walking around with a prototype of a little <laughs> video camera in your glasses as we speak, right? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Elif. And it's so nice to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's M-A-C-P-F-D dot C-A. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.